Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Colossians, the first chapter, and the reading is from the 15th through to the 20th verse. And it reads on this wise. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For in him was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. During the 1981 assassination attempt on former President Ronald Reagan, a gentleman by the name of Timothy J. McCarthy turned into the line of fire shielding Ronald Reagan from one of John Hinckley Jr.'s 22 caliber bullets. Surgeons at George Washington University Hospital successfully removed the round from McCarthy's abdomen and he fully recovered. McCarthy received the NCAA Award of Valor in 1982 in recognition of his bravery. Now, by all accounts, Timothy McCarthy is a brave man who sacrificed himself for his president in the service of his duty. Yet, if we examine carefully, we could miss the salient point that because Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States, McCarthy's life was a worthwhile sacrifice because Reagan's life had more value than McCarthy's. The President of the United States, with all his authority and standing in society, is his life really worth more than Mr. McCarthy's simply because of who he is and what he does? Is his life more valuable than yours or mine? In fact, is he not just a human being like the rest of us? The question I ask forces us to take a really good look at ourselves and to wonder about how much importance we place on people and why. What is it about a person or what they do that causes us to place upon them the kind of value that we do? And furthermore, do they really deserve that kind of honor? In the very same way, we must also ask ourselves the question, who is Jesus to you? I mean, when you think of Jesus, do you think of the Lamb of God who is helpless and who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus to you? And in the way that McCarthy would have given his life for the president, 
what is Jesus worth to you? So for this morning's worship service, I'd like to talk about Jesus and more specifically, the role that he plays in each and every one of our lives. And so I've titled this message, The Supremacy of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we have now come to the preaching hour and I've asked you to send the preacher. I am inadequate at best, but in you I can do all things and I can live and move and have my being. And so, Father, I call upon your divine strength to now imbue me with the kind of power that makes preaching easy and makes my message clear. For no one came to hear me, they came to hear you. But in this Advent season where we are looking forward to the Christ child's birth and to celebrate, take us back, Lord, to that place where you walked the streets of Jerusalem where people saw you healing and they saw you doing all these wonderful miracles. Take us back to that place where we are confronted with your presence and help us to see whether or not our hearts betray us into believing whether or not we place a value on you that is worthy of you or are we simply just like all the others shouting crucify him for he means nothing to us. We pray, Lord, that we are inspired to serve you more. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Almost every person who has heard of the name Jesus or even has heard about Jesus Christ has formed some kind of opinion about him. Not only is he the most famous person in all of history, but he is also the most controversial. As a matter of fact, we know Jesus from the biblical record that he has performed very many miracles. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus healed lepers. Jesus gave sight to the blind. Jesus did all these good things. Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus walked on the sea. Jesus said, peace be still, and the raging storms stopped. Jesus did all kinds of things, and people formed all kinds of, of, of opinions about him. But brothers and sisters, let me share with you this point today. Who Jesus is, is just as, if not more important than what he has done. Who Jesus is, is an important question that every person must ask themselves. Yes, he's a good man that walked the earth. Yes, he was a great prophet. Yes, he did all these wonderful miracles. Yes, he did all these things. We can talk about the goodness of what he has done, but we must come to the place where we reconcile in our hearts who he is. Of all the religious leaders in the world, Christ, Jesus the Christ, is the only one that could ever, that ever claimed to be deity. And he was the only one that was able to convince the majority or a great portion of the people in the world that he is God. But as we talk about Jesus, there are two possibilities that I would like for us to consider. 
Jesus Christ, for all that we know about him, for all that we have read about him, for every sermon that we've ever heard about him, Jesus is either, hear me clearly, church, a lunatic, a liar, or Lord of all. He's either a blasphemous phony, or he is almighty God. But you must decide. You cannot sit on the fence and simply say he was a good man. You must get to the place where you settle in your hearts once and for all. Either he is a phony or he is almighty God. And make no mistake about it, church. When you have decided once and for all who, not what he has done, but who he is. When you have decided once and for all in your heart who Jesus is, it will completely transform and revolutionize how you treat him. You need not look further than to see how when people come to the house of the Lord, the way they carry themselves, the way they function, the way they treat those of the household of faith, it doesn't take much for you to question or to wonder whether or not these people consider him a phony or Lord. If Jesus is a blasphemous phony, then as Paul says, we, all of us of the Christian faith, are a people to be most pitied. He says we are not deserving of anything more than scorn and ridicule if Jesus is not who he says he is. For what we would have done is follow cleverly crafted fables. Now, Jesus in the book of Mark, the 14th chapter, stood before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. The high priest stood before Jesus and he said, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these people are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The court's taking place at night. They are ridiculing him. They are mocking him. They have brought him before the Jewish high council. They have brought him before the bishops in the church. And they said, what is this that people are saying about you? Do you not hear them? Will you not respond? And the Bible tells us that Jesus remained silent. The high priest asked him again, one more time, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? A very specific question that the high priest asked Jesus. And it's interesting to me that this was the time that Jesus opened his mouth. Jesus responded, I am. And to make matters worse, Jesus went a little further and he says, not only am I him, the Messiah, but you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. At this, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, the high priest shouted. You have heard the blasphemy from this man. What do you all think? 
And they all, in one, in united voices, condemned him as a man worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him. And as they slapped him, they, they asked him to prophesy, who hit you? And the guards took him and beat him. The reason why I share that story there in that moment is because their actions made it perfectly clear that they considered Jesus a blasphemous phony. They were convinced that he was not the Messiah. And so they ridiculed him, they beat him, they spit on him, they mocked him, they flogged him, they did all manner of evil against him because they were convinced he was a blasphemous phony. Brothers and sisters, I'm not here to condemn any one of you, but be very careful how we treat the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. For when we come into his house, and we carry ourselves any old kind of way. When we come into his presence and we treat him with much disdain, not reverencing the holiness of who he is, then brothers and sisters, you are no different than them. In condemning him as a blasphemous phony. What you need to know is that when the priest tore his robe, that was something that was forbidden by priests to do. But by doing that, he made it clear to the people that what he has heard was so bad that it required him to rip his clothes. How dare you say that you are the son of the living God, that you will sit at the right hand of God the Father? You are equating yourself to God? You are making yourself the same as God? Who do you think you are? And brothers and sisters, in my prayer, I said, take us back to the place where Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem. Why? Because I want you to see that, brothers and sisters, time and space makes absolutely no difference. For how you treat Jesus today is the way you would have treated him then. Who is Jesus to you? And you must make it clear in your mind that what we do here in this church, the singing and the worshiping, is not a joke. Not something to do. Not some scheme to get monies out of your pockets. Not some scheme, but because we depend on him for our very lives. Jesus is, to me, who he says he is. And so I function in that way, for I refuse to have anyone accuse me of betraying the master. What's unique about the trial with Jesus is not so much that he was being accused of what he had done. You see, usually when people go into a court of law where there is a judge and a jury, they are examining what you have done. Did you or did you not do this? And is there evidence to prove that it is you. And oh, by the way, make no mistake about it, in a court of law, the onus is upon the prosecution to make the case about the person they're accusing with evidence. However, what is unique about Jesus' trial is not that he was being accosted or prosecuted for what he had done. He was being prosecuted 
for who he is. Imagine that. And so, if Jesus was a blasphemous phony, then the priest was right and correct to tear his clothing. The other side is, if he is God. What does that mean for us? Well, on several occasions, and I love this, on several occasions, Jesus claims to be equal with God. That's a problem in a certain sense. In John, the 10th chapter, Jesus says this, I and my Father are one. In John, the 8th chapter, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> now, that's in essence saying he is pre-existent. In other words, that who you see now was there when Abraham was and before. Now, that's a major claim for somebody to make. In John, the 14th chapter, Jesus says these words, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Wait a second now. These are some strong words. Whenever you read the Bible, you will always hear them say, The prophets, even if you read the Old Testament, they will always say, when the prophets are coming, what do they say? Thus saith the Lord. Right or wrong? Every time the prophets spoke, they always would preface it by saying, Thus saith the Lord. In other words, not their words, but God's words. In other words, I'm telling you what I'm telling you is coming straight from God through me. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Jonah and Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, all of them. Thus saith the Lord. Crystal clear. <laughs> In Matthew, Jesus goes around and says, listen, but I say to you, but I say to you, you've heard it said before that you shall not do this, that, and that, but I say to you, but I say to you, you talk about authority in God, but I say to you, can you imagine Isaiah coming down the, the streets of Judah and saying to the people, but I say to you. Or Elijah, or Elisha, but I say to you, without hesitation, lightning bolts would have flown straight out of heaven, and we would have remembered Isaiah and Elijah and Ezekiel and all of them as mere pfft, ashes in the wind. But I say to you, this is Jesus letting it known, letting it be known to everyone around him that he had the authority because he was not a blasphemous phony. He was God Almighty incarnate in the flesh. You've seen me. You have seen the Father. I say to you, I say to you, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Nowhere did he say the Father would have told you. He says, I would have told you because in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And listen, nothing that was created was created without the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, you see Jesus, you see God. And brothers and sisters, as I said to you before, there is no time and space in God's economy. And how you treat Jesus today is how you would have treated him back then in Jerusalem. But the corollary is also true because if then you would have treated him with the majesty that he deserves, then today you would have done the same thing. If Jesus was walking Jerusalem and you needed to touch the hem of his garment to feel your healing, 
Brothers and sisters, you can touch his garment today. Today. For today is the day of salvation. In John, the 20th chapter, my favorite disciple, and y'all should know him by now, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas said, I ain't doing nothing till I see him myself. I sure love me some Thomas. Unless I push my finger in them wounds and I see it for myself, I ain't going to believe nothing. Jesus presented himself to Thomas. And everywhere in the scriptures, whenever you see men of God bowing down to angels, they were all careful to say, stand up, I am not worthy of your worship. But when Thomas fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God, Jesus received his worship. Why? Because he was not a blasphemous phony. He was God in the flesh. In the Philippians, the second chapter, we know it so well. Who, being in the very nature of God, thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Brothers and sisters, the picture that I'm painting for you is that the Bible is a testimony to the fact that we are not following cleverly crafted fables, that our very lives are a testimony to the truth of who Jesus is. You are here not because of anything good about you, but because of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ on your side. If it had not been for God, where would you be? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he and he alone is almighty God. Be clear in your minds who Jesus is. And so our scripture text this morning says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And I like the fact that it says he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. We love to say all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. This is what the scripture is telling us. That the all things we're talking about is being held together and working together for your good because of the Jesus that we serve. Make no mistake about it. That's who he is. So the conclusion of the matter, as far as I'm concerned, is that Jesus is God. I can say it clearly. I don't say it with hesitation. Well, he is like God. Well, he, he, he represented God. Brothers and sisters, he is God. And if you can muster up the strength to say that and to believe it, then I'm telling you, you are saved. If you have a hard time saying, Jesus is God, then I ask you and I urge you to check your salvation and make, sure, make your calling and election sure because the Apostle John has made it clear to us. What does he say? He say, anyone who can say that Jesus Christ is the Lord is one of us. Because anyone who cannot say that, they are of the spirit 
of Antichrist. Not my words. But what does this all mean? Well, what this all means is that Jesus, being God, has all authority. Not some authority, not a little bit of authority. The text is very clear. It says, look, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We are struggling in many ways in our lives. And we are struggling because we have placed our faith and our beliefs in other things other than Jesus himself. And what I'm telling you is that the closest, the closest you can get to your deliverance is acknowledging his deity. Acknowledging who God is. For those who come to him must first what? Believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We as a believing community, as a denomination, as a church, are essentially walking around powerless and living beneath our giftings and our spiritual authority. That is a hard thing for a pastor to say. We as a church, a denomination, a people, we are living well below our giftings simply because we have not taken hold of our spiritual authority. Jesus said in John 14, very truly I tell you, not my words, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Now, what I want you to understand about that is what Jesus is really saying to us is, listen, because I'm going to the Father, I'm walking right now with you on this earth. Jesus is walking like a man on this earth. And his disciples are walking around following him and he said, listen, truly, truly, I tell you, you see me doing all these great things? It's wonderful. But I want you to know that you're going to do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to my father. I'm going to my father. Now, what's, what's, what's hidden in that text is the how are you going to get to the father? How are you going to get to the father? You see, Jesus could have went and disappeared and he would have gotten to the father. But you wouldn't be able to do the greater works. No, if Jesus had just sprouted wings and flown into heaven and went to be with the Father, then you would not have been able to do greater things. The reason why you're able to do greater things as he goes to the Father is because Jesus knew that the way to the Father was through the cross. And when he would go to the Father through the cross, it means that he would have paid for your sins and mine. And when he has paid for your sins and mine, he sits at the right hand now of God the Father after he was resurrected from the dead. And that same, watch this, watch this, all things have been created through him. But it also tells us whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been given to him. And he says, I go to the Father. And the same authority that I have, I now give to you. Now, 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 Pastor, this is, this is nice to hear, but, but I don't really quite understand what you mean. Well, here's what I'm saying to you. Listen to the Apostle John's vision of Christ in the book of Revelation. He says, this is John speaking. I want you to hear me, church. This is what John says in the book of Revelation about the same Jesus that 
the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the, all of them said he was what? A blasphemous phony and tear their clothes, right? They rip their clothes and they see this man as a blasphemous phony. Crucify him. He's crazy. He's a lunatic. That same Jesus, John now sees in his revelation. Here's what John sees. I turned around. This is what it says in the text. I turned around and to, to, just to see the voice that was speaking to me. This is John. Who's talking to me? So John turns around in the text to see the voice that was speaking to me. Now, before I go too far, <laughs> let me read it again because I think you missed it. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. How are you going to see a voice? How are you going to see a voice? You know how you see a voice? Because the voice is the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And the word became flesh. And that word dwelt among us. So you can see the voice. You can see. But John didn't stop there. Because I want you to see how wonderful our God is. Because the same voice that was speaking to John is the same voice that's speaking to you. The problem is, many of us don't want to turn around. We want to keep going our own way. But if you just turn around to see the voice that is speaking to you, you might see the rest of the vision. But John helps us. Here's what John says. I, I, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. But wait a second. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with, with, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now, now, John goes on to say, In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Watch this. John says, when I saw him, because I turned around to see the voice, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. Now, let me stop there right now for a moment. <laughs> the text told us, Holly, that in his hands was what? Seven stars. So I fell at his feet as if I was dead. And John says, he, he, he placed his right hand on me. Here's what I will say to you, brothers and sisters. Here's, and again, I'm still talking about the person who they called a blasphemous phony that they ripped their clothes and they blindfolded him and they slapped him and they kicked him and they spit on him and they abused him. I'm talking about that guy, that same guy. He had seven stars in his right hand. 
and I fell to his feet as though I were dead. What kind of God would put aside his celestial majesty to touch me, to touch you? He laid aside majesty to put his hands on you because he recognized that you were worthy more than seven stars. You are worth more than seven stars. But I got to get to the end. Not only did he do that, he says to John, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look. Because you turn around to see the voice. He says, I was dead, but now, he's talking to John, but now look, look. I put aside seven stars to let you see. John, wake up. Wake up out of your dead situation. Wake up out of your despair. Wake up out of your brokenness. Wake up out of your failures. Wake up out of your shortcomings. Wake up out of feeling, John, that they crucified me and that was the end of the story. No, 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 John. You need to understand whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by me. Wake up, John. I sit at the right hand of God the Father. Wake up, John. I am the living one. I was once dead. And he says to John, now look at me. Now look at me. I am alive forever and ever. And oh, by the way, John, if that were not enough, I hold the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Church, the picture that I'm painting for you in this message is really a simple one if you can get it in your spirit. I asked at the beginning, Jesus is either a blasphemous phony or he is God Almighty. John, the Apostle John, was in the same place that you and I are in many in cases today. But Jesus said to him, John, you need to lose that image of how they treated me. You need to lose that image of a crucified Savior. You need to lose that image of death and defeat because I want you to turn and look at me. Jesus is like saying, how you like me now? How you like me now? And not only am I alive forevermore, I now hold the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So brothers and sisters, who do you say Jesus is? And if you aren't clear, let me tell you who he is. He's not just the Lamb of God. He is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not just the light. He is the bright and morning star. He's not just the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. He's not just the light unto my pathway. He is the resurrection and the life. He's no longer the baby in the manger. 
He is the ruler of kings in the earth. He's not just the rose of Sharon. He is the true vine. He is the pathway of peace in this Advent season. Brothers and sisters, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. His mercy is everlasting. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's indescribable. He's inconceivable. He's incomprehensible. He is invincible. And he is irresistible. So my brothers and sisters, be clear. Jesus Christ is supreme. And he is Lord of all. And if you would just turn and see the voice, you too will be convinced. But the last thing I will say is in all of that glory, in all of that majesty, in all of what he showed to John putting down stars so he can touch you, in all of that wonderful stuff that we can say about Jesus the Christ who sits at the right hand of God the Father, in all of his supremacy, I am humbled by the fact that he shed all of that goodness that he had from the foundations of the world to die for you and for me. He said, listen, greater things than what I do, you will do because I go to the Father. But he said, but he didn't say it, but he implied it through the cross. And it's through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross that he gives us even the privilege to hear his voice, to even turn around to see it. There's a reason why I have on the screen a picture of the Christ, and you can see the crosshairs. The crosshairs represent a target from a rifle. You can see it? The crosshairs is a target on him. I started out by telling you how Mr. McCarthy jumped in front of the bullet to save President Ronald Reagan. Well, Here's a story that I've told before and that I made up. It's a made-up story. It's a made-up story. It's a made-up story. Okay? It's a made-up story. So, Washington, D.C., one night, it's a made-up story, a homeless man was laying on the street, had no value to society, nothing to give, made a mess of his life, destroyed every relationship and everything that was around him, took people for granted, made, made a mess of everything that he touched. This homeless man on a street corner in Washington, D.C. Being that it's Washington, D.C., coming down the street that night was a motorcade, the presidential motorcade. And inside the president, it's a story. And inside the presidential motorcade was our former president, none other than Barack Obama. And he was on his way back to the White House. But little did we know that perched on the top of a building, it's a story, perched on the top of the building was someone who thought that that homeless man had no value. 
So he had in his crosshairs with the little red dot, you know what I'm talking about, right? A sniper was getting ready to take out that homeless man because he wanted target practice. And somehow this presidential motorcade is coming down the street. And all of a sudden the door flies open of the beast, that's the call they call the car. And out jumps President Obama. And just as the sniper's bullet went off, President Obama jumped right in front of the bullet and took one for that homeless man. Now, it's a story. The reason why I told the story that way is because I want to, I want to create an imagery in your minds. As we talk about the value of one life over another, we can all in this room agree that that might not have been the best or most wisest use of presidential power to to risk your life for all the people that you are responsible for to risk your life for someone who has made a mess of theirs someone who is unworthy someone who does not deserve to even be on the street but you as the most important president saw fit to risk your life for someone like that. Now, that story is not true. It is unheard of. And to most, if not all of us, it makes absolutely no sense. And the reason why it makes no sense is because we cannot imagine President Obama doing something so silly. How much more value do we place on the Lord Jesus Christ when we compare him to the president? How much more value is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that when you and I, who were dead in our sins, in our trespasses and sins, when you and I, who have made messes of our own life, this same Jesus jumped in front of that crosshair when he went on that cross and he took it for you and for me, a people most undeserving, of his love and of his grace. What is his life worth to you? Who is Jesus to you? Well, brothers and sisters, today, today, I invite you to turn and see the voice that risked its life for you. Turn and see that voice because I'm telling you, as far-fetched as my story is, it is absolutely accurate what the Lord has done for you and for me. And so, how great is that sacrifice? Like McCarthy, but yet not quite like McCarthy. Jesus, who is Lord of all. Jesus, who is the firstborn of creation. Jesus, now, 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 one last thing I want to show you in the text. It says here, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Who are the dead? You and me. All of us who have confessed faith in him. He died first before you did. 
so that he could rise and get the keys to hell and the grave. And because he holds the keys, it means that only he can condemn and only he can open that door and send people to hell. But here's what he gives to the church. He gives to the church the keys to the kingdom. Which means you and I, as a church, we can open the doors of heaven and help people to get in. We don't have the keys to hell. He got that. So we can't condemn anyone. But we can let as many in that wants to come. So as you stand at this time, as we prepare to close out today's worship experience, I invite you, brothers and sisters, to make your calling and election sure that I, before you walk out of that door, make sure you are crystal clear in your mind that Jesus the Christ is not a blasphemous phony, but that he is God himself, incarnate in the flesh. If you can be clear in your minds, then brothers and sisters, your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And whether we are asleep or awake, we will live together with him. And we want none of you to perish. So if you're here today and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart for yourself, we offer you today the opportunity to make your calling and election sure. For we all must come this way, robe or no robe, licentiates or not. We must all come this way.